Welcome back to Uncle Jay's Lounge. Whether you're relaxing or living off borrowed time, the podcast ticks faster. This will be the hour full of slick banter. I'm your host, Julian, on the ones and twos, and assisting me, my co-host, Jordan. Jordan, how are you doing today? Where are you coming with all the slickness from, man? Shout out MF Doom, my guy. Relaxing this week, having some fun, and it looks like the future is upon us in the realm of 3D printed homes, which is something I never thought was in the agenda for the near future but it's being done currently also seems like something where we're seeing a locomotive just start chugging along and we know that sooner or later it's going to be extremely overpowering in the market just being that they're it seems like a superior good in all forms than conventional housing right you know that's right it'll be interesting to me to see where this goes and where it takes off because once again we'll link it in the show notes the article we're referencing but in austin texas they had started building a few of these homes and now a large community by another competitor is going to be made in rancho mirage california right outside of coachella but in austin they're using it first in some cases for their homeless population which i think is a clever way to build homes for those groups and provide them some sort of shelter. When I was reading that in the article, I just found that like really, really cool to like, it's just an excellent way of implementation. Number one, they are about three to six times quicker to build than a normal house. And so that's one of those things where you can really, Julian, I was thinking about this earlier too. I think that that would be an excellent application for disaster relief things or rebuilding from disasters especially since once you kind of clear out the path of all the debris, you have so many people homeless. And so this is like probably one of the quicker ways to house a whole bunch of people and put them in somewhat homes as quick as possible. I found it super interesting to that point too in the article that they mentioned that that's something that they were testing their products for, not exactly disaster relief right away, but they were testing their products in these homes for earthquakes and the cold and wind in some regards to kind of have that option in mind as they're building their homes in these areas that are prone to earthquakes like Southern California or, you know, giant heat storms in Austin, Texas. It just is fascinating to see them get the ball rolling. And what I was reading is the icon was saying it takes them typically about a week or so to print out a 2000 square foot single floor home. But my my biggest question is it's brand new. I'm not sure necessarily what the next step in terms of these 3D printed homes of what is the complete scale they can get to. Are they going to be rationalized or condensed only to be able to be, you know, a thousand, two thousand square feet and then building up to that second floor with conventional materials to keep the structure? Do you see these homes being large mansions in the future? That's a really interesting question that you put out there. I think particularly for something like 3D printed homes, like you mentioned, Icon builds from the first floor of 3D printing to a conventional. So there's obviously going to be a few, like a little bit of scalability issues when it comes to that. And you don't see a lot of mansions, number one, that are just one story high. But also, I think that when you're thinking about 3D printed homes, you think about your clientele, which I think is perfectly in the spot of millennials. 
due to the fact that they are so much more ecologically efficient, not only for temperature and things like that, which the articles reference, but also building materials. And I think that there will still be the bourgeoisie, so to speak, that will stick with mansions and 3D printed homes, I think, are going to just be the mainstays in a lot of metropolises. Like that one was in Coachella Valley and Rancho Mirage and then Austin, Texas, of course. That brings a point, too. And they're developing in these areas that typically there isn't a whole huge housing market when you look at Rancho Mirage, which is expanding. My thing that came to mind there, too, is we talk about the millennial generation utilizing these homes and moving forward. And, you know, they're saying that they're obviously more sustainable. They're 30 to 40% cheaper than traditional construction. They use solar energy. I couldn't find exactly what they were utilizing to print these homes in terms of like what that material consists of, what the ratio of or mold and resin to other materials is. My big curiosity now that we talk about it is typically, you know, a home goes up in fire and the wood burns. And obviously that smoke is not great for your lungs in the first place, but it does burn. I'm curious when these homes see a disaster like that, when they do burn, if there's any other side effects from either the smoke or even if they get too hot, if they're releasing some sort of odor into the household that could be, you know, long-term effective of your lungs or your respiratory system. Yeah. I mean, when you think about kind of disaster proofing a house, that is something that you kind of think about is the burnability of it all. I think specifically in that case, in the the group that I'm thinking of is Mighty Buildings. And they're using, of course, it's going to be proprietary and they're not going to go into it in the article, but something called cement polymer. So obviously that's constructed based off of kind of the concrete or cement that we usually see. So I think that who knows, really? But that seems like really plentiful stuff if you can get it anywhere. Obviously, it's not very flammable either. So, I mean, of course, there's no such thing as kind of like a free lunch. So there's going to be some downsides to this in some sort of way. But man, it sounds pretty sweet so far. Yeah, I think it's a like you said, it's the locomotive starting like they're talking about icon and mighty builders or mighty building is talking about they're so strapped right now for the demand. The demand is insane through the roof. They're booked out 24, 36 months in advance. They're raising, you know, a $35 million Series A funding. They're doing all of these things to to meet that demand and see where it goes. And I think it's also one of those technology at scale things, right? Where right now, you know, there's only 40 employees at Icon, probably the same, if not less at uh, mighty buildings where eventually once that technology and they can roll out to all these different markets that you know we're going to see these pop up more and more in areas that they can very similar to what you saw with the tiny home trend it also asks the question 3d printing can now 3d print homes you can now live in a sustainable 3d printed home where else do you think 3d printing is going to expand into in the near future whether that is five years or 20 years seeing that this big jump is occurring. And it seems that 3D printing is about to get a lot of funding after seeing the success of these projects. Thinking ahead, man, I like it. So I think that, I mean, of course, I'm going to take to this point just because I'm kind of a, I'm into the nerdy stuff, but 
I think 3D printing facilities on different planets would be excellent, like an excellent use of this. Number one, because it saves space. Of course, it doesn't necessarily save on weight. But if you can also take materials from whatever environment you're in, then essentially, theoretically, if you lighten the load of the material you're printing from, then all you need is kind of the printer itself. So I think that would be an excellent use case for it. And also, I think that you also got to think about like how these guys are doing it. You can 3D print on site, which I think Icon does, but also Mighty Buildings does print from a factory and then ships it out. So that means that they're going to be accessible no matter the terrain or ability to get the printing stuff out there. So as far as like far in the future, I think that would be an excellent use case for 3D printing is in different different climates or different planets themselves. That is an excellent example. It makes sense. It seems feasible. The technology will be there, especially because in those areas, once whether it is the moon or Mars where you're terraforming, that you aren't going to need a giant 2,000 square foot home. You know, you can do a little hut or whatever it may be. The The point that, that I was really interested in was the mighty building scene where you said they print it in factory and they send it out in packages and they, i'm sure they have installers or contractors that do it but could you imagine i think they did it in the 20s or the 30s i think sears did it um, or some catalog where mm. they basically just shipped you a home and let you put it together it seems like for millennials that may be interested in this and younger generations that all that time playing with legos is starting to pay off where you're just going to be building your own home to their specification, as long as it's not like Ikea instructions. And you'll have the ability to say, yeah, I I built this with my own hands. That's actually pretty cool because it almost like gamifies going and being a homeowner. One, because it's feel like you're doing something, builds value into the house itself, which is, you know, building it. Of course, not everybody would be capable or interested in doing that, but it does kind of lend to it almost being more more personable in a weird way i'm personifying something that is you know this concrete stuff that is getting printed out but i feel like it makes home creation just that much more accessible to everyday people 100 percent. down the line you might get mismatched 3d printed homes with different designs or textures that are easily applicable and to add to the house it does also make me wonder about with Icon, their homes are, like we said, and Mighty Buildings, both of them kind of use this concrete polymer in some effect that it makes me wonder what it's like when the other things that you have to have installed and how that works with these panels and these walls that they're providing you with, right? Your electrical or heating, your water, those utilities going into the house, if they're already printed in their concrete I wonder if there is a bit of an expense when installing for those, you know, additional services and blue collar jobs to come in and make those installations on your home. Because I'm sure that working in concrete to install an outlet or a breaker box is a little bit more pricey than working in a traditional wood home. When you think about it in the micro, I, I absolutely think so. But I think macro there's almost going to be an opposite effect. Number one, it takes, you know, 95% less humans to do the job because it's uh, robots that are printing these things out. And then two, you also 
you know, and I think that weight is going to be a lot more than the trades workers that are going to be installing this stuff. But I do think that that it kind of opens up a lot of opportunity for, you know, there to be 3D printing engineers and stuff like that. So I'm curious to see how this actually affects like job markets and stuff. It's so promising and so attractive of an option relative to the alternative, which has kind of been the traditional choice. But I'm I'm curious to see how we're at the beginning of this thing, man. And so I'm curious to see what actually comes out in the end. The end, too, seems so bright because where they're starting is so feasible. They're starting with median home prices in the rent in that area. Like in Austin, they're around 400 to 425,000. In Rancho Mirage, Coachella, Indio, Southern California, they're still around 400, $450,000. So it's not like these are starting out as this, a high luxury good where these houses are a million dollars. They're starting at a reasonable price where they're definitely seeing a profit on their end, but people can afford these. So as more money comes into them, more projects, they can definitely scale to larger operations, whether that is instead of homes, they move on to facilities or they're doing uh, convenience stores, all of these different areas to build those products. In a weird dystopian view, you could eventually be in a 3D printed home, 3D printing everything you need, right? Like you could 3D print a wrench or maybe shoes or depending on the materials at the time, everything from a 3D printer. That's one thing that I was thinking about too. It uh, makes replacing items or objects in your home a lot more accessible. The The question I have for you, if it seems like this thing is going to go the way that we believe it's going to go, just by talking about it for the last 15 or so minutes, when do you think the majority of homes are going to be 3D printed? That is a good question. I think it's going to be a while. I think maybe a hundred years, if not more, to where there's just so many homes already and people love certain, you know, mid-century modern, uh, 70s, modern homes, cabins, all these different styles of homes, brick, that people get attached to that. And there's already so many of those in the market where 3D printing is offering a very unique category within there to a very, at this point, niche audience. But I can see in the future kind of being like Tesla, if done right, where slowly and slowly it adds kind of more variety for more consumers to be interested in their product. And if they're able to drive price down and build an environment that maybe people aren't seeking out right now, it may just surge as more people with the housing market as the way it is in the U.S. are going for these more affordable homes and maybe a less convenient area, but they're getting the home they'd like. Yeah, it's such a it's a really difficult question to answer as far as the timeline of the majority of these our domiciles are going to be 3D printed. But I think it'll be a trickle effect and kind of slowly but surely. And it'll it'll take generations because you're right. There's absolutely going to be people that look at the option and say, hey, the this home is going to be way more effective as far as cost goes and better for the environment. But they'll opt in for like an old Victorian just because of the um, the nostalgia of it all. So but I think hopefully it, it kind of overtakes like a little bit of a maybe this is a little bit on the nose, guys, and you can roll your eyes if you want. But a little bit like a virus, like slowly but surely it starts kind of 
getting more and more people and then eventually it kind of like snowballs into everybody's going to want one. Here's the question, Jordan. You have your first time home buyer. You get the opportunity to buy one of these. You don't have to. They just say, hey, we have one of these. You have the opportunity to buy it, finance it. Do you do it right now? Oh, it's a it's a tough question, my man. Charles from Match really uh, sealed the deal right there. But I think that I if I was in the if I was in the market to look for a home and it was in the U.S., I absolutely would do it. One, I think that it's going to be probably longer lasting. Uh, I really like the the idea of it being quicker, more cost effective, better for the environment and also taking a step in the future. So, yeah, I'd be about it. But how about you, man? Yeah, I'd be about it. I mean, looking at the home market now, kind of being in that ad space, definitely would. I think it's, I like the option. I like that it's resistant to mold and termites and rot and water damage with that concrete polymer. So Icon or Mighty Buildings, if you're listening and you want to test out a home in Australia or you want to test out a home in uh, South America or anywhere you haven't, you know, tested out, I'll be, I'll be a test subject. And, you know, make sure that it lives up to those conditions in those environments. Respect, man. Going to go the full length for it. Most definitely. But it's interesting to see the future is upon us. You know, 3D printing homes are starting. If there's a way to invest in it, I think it's clever little investment long term. But it's just interesting to see how the future is changing so rapidly. 3D printed homes. This week we saw Bitcoin hit 60,000. But we're also seeing on outside of the U.S. in Uh, Sri Lanka are seeing another big change happening. So, Jordan, I have to ask you. What was on the agenda tonight? (laughs) I can't respond seriously when Chris Hansen was uh, (laughs) questioning me. I feel also in trouble. The the big thing that these places are seeing and the trend kind of in Europe is the ban on burkas and other face coverings. And I think it's kind of, I mean, there's a lot to chew on, man. There absolutely is. I'm going to be honest, right? You sent these articles over. I read them in Sri Lanka. I get it. Sweden. I don't necessarily understand what their position on banning face coverings is in their country. Yeah, man. And to be fair to Sweden, it did narrowly pass. So it's not like it was like a resounding yes. But I think that what we have here is kind of like a cultural shift. And Sweden's, or I think it was Switzerland, actually. Yeah, you're right. I fumbled that one. Essentially, what we have here is something that's already been in place. So France had a, I think it was a temporary um, face covering ban. And Denmark has one right now, up to a fine of 15,000 bucks if you're caught as being a repeat offender of having like a job or anything like that. But Essentially, people are coming out and saying that this is quite Islamophobic in the sense that the majority of people that are wearing face coverings, even though they're they're the minority in places like Switzerland and Denmark, are Muslims and people that follow that faith. So I don't know. I think there's a it's like a hot button topic and it's kind of slowly but surely creeping into the rest of society as far as like what's actually happening. I think a lot of people may be asking, okay, wait, what what does that mean? And what we're saying is in these areas, Switzerland and Sri Lanka, Muslim women typically 
can be seen wearing maybe a burqa, niqab, a hijab, a shador, a shayla, alamira, or a kamar, which is these different face coverings for religious purposes and traditional standards. And in Sri Lanka, they're saying it might be time to roll this back and ban these because, at least the burqa in this example, because it's a full body cover of the entire face and there's just a small mesh screen for the eyes. So in terrorist style attacks and bombings, anyone can hide under there. You don't have to be necessarily a woman to wear one, right? And so you can go into a synagogue in this disguise and no one's going to question you because it's societal norms and religious standards. And you can set up a very violent attack on a group of people. And so to identify and hopefully prevent those from happening by removing these face coverings, you can at least potentially see someone who is suspected of being a terrorist or on a wanted list or someone who doesn't necessarily fit in in those scenarios. Yeah, that's exactly the the idea of what Sri Lanka is doing, especially since they had that the terrorist attack on Easter. It's pretty understandable what they're kind of thinking in that essence. And I think in Switzerland, it's a little bit of preventativeness. And of course, Switzerland is a country in history has been kind of one that is isolated and not only in actions, but also geography, being that they're kind of surrounded by the Swiss Alps and countries have a hard time going in and going out if unless they're going through the air. There's a few other dynamics here. We we also have, as far as tech goes, which is kind of the way that I always think about it, you have facial recognition doing a lot of kind of surveillance and things of that nature. So that hampers the safety, I mean, technically, right, of oh, you can't scan this face, so it might be, you can't track a person. But I just think it's so, I don't know, man, you can go either way. Like, if you were a feminist over a multiculturalist, you'd say ban them. If you were just trying to give as much people freedom as they want, then you'd say, let these people wear what they want to wear. But I don't know, of course, you're kind of coming in from it and haven't ran up against it as much because number one, there's just not as many Muslim people in, in Oregon. And, but over here, I mean, there's, there's a huge community of them. And I couldn't imagine, honestly, obviously I just don't notice it anymore, but I think anytime I go outside, even to like the grocery store, I'm running into people with those kind of face coverings on. So maybe it's a little closer to home for me, but what, what are your thoughts on it? Question is, do you think that modern media has aided in a some portions to some individuals, in this case, let's talk America, because that's probably where it's most prominent, aided in this image that someone who is wearing one of these face coverings associated with like a nefarious act or group, and that has harmed the image of what they, what they truly are and represent because of a, a handful of people and the damage that they've done? Not necessarily the media that's doing it. It's Islamic terrorists that are doing it. Right. They go cut to the straight to the source, man. Of course, they would be the ones that would give the bad name to people. And of course, the media is going to do their part to make everything look kind of crazy and the sky is falling so that people get eyes on their stuff. But the source is ISIS and things like that, not necessarily the media. Do you think that it's actually a more insidious role that the media plays or do you agree? I agree with your statement on it. I, I think maybe from an American lens over here and not being in Europe, I definitely think there is a 
subconscious bias towards individuals um, in those face coverings. But I think that stems from a larger problem of just overall lack of diversity in some nature in historical contents for the U.S. that has these predefined judgments about individuals that you know may or may not be affecting it. But in the grand scheme of things, it still is interesting to me Switzerland's position. I'm still trying to kind of wrap my head around it because I'm not sure, and maybe I need to do more research. But I'm just not sure of you know banning those face coverings. Is there a lot of extremists in Switzerland? That is, that's the worry, or are they just trying to get ahead of the potential curve from preventing Switzerland of being a target, or is there a lot of trafficking that's happening through there, or other bad deeds? It's just something that I'm not 100% sure, maybe there's a historical context that's happening, I'm just not 100% sure, if I'm being honest, on why Switzerland is jumping so into this so quick, even though it was a margin, small pass, but why they're doing it. That's a good question, man, and I I don't live there, so I don't think I can answer the appropriately or to the best of to the best of exactly what's going on. But I think, like I said, it's an insulated part of the world or Europe, even where a lot of things that they experience is it's due to looking outside and then thinking about it. So it's not personally to experience a lot, especially since Muslims are a really huge minority and I think under 10% in Switzerland. So their their interaction with it would probably be quite limited. And everyone's actually extremely well armed in Switzerland too, uh, which is kind of a little fun fact. The thing that I'm thinking it is, is it's just kind of the overall trend. It's people can say certain things, like I mentioned a few before, it's oppressive to the women. It's possibly endangering when you're talking about certain security of national security sure but and of course man like i think that if there was something that was physically making showing a difference or almost like displaying a difference between people if it wasn't there then there would be a lot more homogenous feel but i don't know man i'm i'm more of a like a liberty guy but i really did try to think about if i was to take the other side of my gut instinct like how would i do that and it's hard. There's a few there's a few cases, but not tons. And even in the article, the proposal was put forward by the right wing Swiss People's Party, right? I'm gonna stay as neutral as possible here. And they use the slogan, stop extremism. It's just interesting to me. Maybe it's just how well marketing works. And I think it comes full circle to your statement earlier about talking about ISIS and those attacks that are so vicious and so often occurring that simple marketing you know strikes that one chord and that will turn people to vote it's you know commonly known philosophy and understanding that most people only vote for one or two reasons something that they're strongly attached to and so maybe this just hit that vein of stop extremism just because it's not necessarily happening in where they're at but it's something that they're tied to and they don't want to happen and as you mentioned only five percent of switzerland people are Muslim, 5% of 8.6 million. So it also kind of, even though I still don't completely understand the the push for or who came up with the proposal or the idea from that group, it does make sense in how simple messaging in politics can really go the distance in some regards. Yeah, man. It's not only there that we've seen it, we've seen it in a lot of places. 
it's interesting to, you know, how people interact with things that they feel like they can relate to or or feel like they don't relate to and how that provokes people to vote or kind of think about things. Certainly, in this case, it's uh, absolutely the case. Of course, man, you know, if I was being if I'm trying to be unbiased, I think that, well, maybe this isn't unbiased to say, but I think the origins of it is kind of like ill suited. The Quran, I did a little research on this, but of course, I'm not an expert, but I believe it was the Prophet Muhammad had about like 17, 16 wives, a few like slaves and concubines and things like that. And he had them all like cover their faces. And it was to stop dudes from essentially, of course, I'm translating it into my own words, but stop dudes from like getting aroused and stuff, which I think is just the silliest thing, like especially, you know, like modern times. I feel like the more you push against something, even as silly as that origin and like, you know, as silly as I believe it to be, I think that the and of course, that was a very shallow understanding of it all, but in certain places too it'll be a moniker or symbol of resistance of kind of the western world and you've seen that or we've seen that in places like morocco which used to be like occupied by france and places like that where the more that the western world tries to oppress their ways they'll kind of be more emboldened or not emboldened but more like proud to wear the something like a burqa or a hijab and stuff like that so it's it's kind of a, like a loaded thing that's happening in the world. I feel like you, if you take the time and sat down and thought about both sides' opinions, you'll definitely take something away from listening to it. But I honestly, I just feel like it's a, it's kind of like a strange thing. It's almost unfreeing to force the, the government forcing you to wear something or not wear something. So it's a, it's quite strange. Very strange. But no, we'll see how it plays out. I know the Swiss government is just kind of arguing it saying that it's not up to the state to dictate what women wear so we'll see what happens in switzerland as that goes on and in sri lanka they further closed down a thousand schools that weren't within the authority of the government which could lead to some interesting teachings happening there not to say they all do or they all don't but they're you know kind of making that crackdown it looks on the positive note i think for sri lanka it does look like they're starting to try to crack down and keep their citizens a bit more safe and with, you know, actual evidence, but in some regards, still dictating what someone wears and can't wear is always a slippery slope. Yeah, man, it's a, absolutely is. It's a sliding gradient of how good and right you are as a human being. And we think about the stuff that we did a hundred years ago and cringe. And maybe this will be one of those that we do now, a hundred years in the future, but the really cool thing is that when you look back and cringe on something, it means that it's, you know, from 100 years apart, you've gone in the right direction. So it's super hopeful to think about that things can develop or, you know, we have articles and people thinking about this that can actually benefit human beings and make us all better off. So hopefully that's the case for this specific thing. And by no means are we experts on that situ this situation at all. It's just interesting to see the changes happening. So if you're listening and you have any articles or any viewpoints, you know, go ahead and send it over to us. Our email is down below. Uh, we'd love to hear you know, your thoughts on this situation or even your thoughts on the future with 3D printed homes and where that's going and how the environment across the world is changing rapidly. 
we always enjoy hearing your feedback. We always enjoy finding these articles and then having fun just talking it up on the podcast. Well said, my man. Thank you guys for listening and peace.